What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B-Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. We're past midnight here in the Central Time Zone into Friday, July 21st, 2023. And as of this moment, the Cardinals' win streak is still intact after Game 1 at Wrigley Field. Cardinals 7, Cubs 2, Steven Matz. He's off this night, ladies and gentlemen. His first win of 2023, he improves to, well, 1-7. and seven. So maybe a ways to go there. But the ERA down to 4.67. As Matz gave the Cardinals five strong innings tonight, wasn't super efficient, but got just enough done so that he could pace the Cardinals in this win. The offense paced things as well. And tonight on B-Shape Daily, we will get into Nolan Arenado, who is absolutely red hot right now, coming through with another big swing tonight. How about Jordan Walker? Welcome to Wrigley Field, young man. His first game playing at Wrigley because... Well, he was elsewhere the last time the Cardinals visited the north side of Chicago through no fault of his own. But he had a nice night with a home run at Wrigley Field. And, of course, the guy who always homers at Wrigley Field, he did again. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's Paul DeYoung. Paulie D loves Wrigley. That's the way it unfolded on Thursday night for the St. Louis Cardinals. Six wins in a row. That's the good news. Nine out of their last 11. That's good news. Bad news? Well, Brewers won. Reds won, but if you wanted to look at the bright side on even those occurrences, the Brewers and Reds defeated the Phillies and Giants, respectively. Two teams in the wildcard positioning at this point. The Cardinals are eight and a half games behind the Phillies for the third wildcard in case you were concerned about that number, cared about that, still have any belief that the Cardinals maybe won't tear everything down here heading into the trade deadline. I still maintain that the wild card, while more unlikely than the division, because in the Central, you just really need a couple of teams to falter, the Reds and Brewers. I won't even count the Cubs. The Cardinals are still behind the Cubs, but by a game and a half, and I expect, even if the Cardinals do sell things off, I think they can overtake the Cubs. Maybe they do it this weekend. Who knows? But that's two teams with the Reds and the Brewers, and I kind of think both have fatal flaws that are going to prohibit them from ultimately getting to that 85-86 win mark that would be necessary to win the division. The Brewers, I think theirs is offensively, and if they continue to sustain injuries to the pitching staff, which happens all the time, so that wouldn't be a shock. And the Reds, I just don't think, have the pitching. And then there's the whole Ellie De La Cruz is kind of sucking now. Other than the throws he makes from shortstop, he's still got a great arm. But offensively, he's sort of taken a step back. And I just feel like the Cardinals, man, if they get on this run, They're going to need to find a way to make sure the pitching stays solidified. And if it's not with Jordan Montgomery and Jack Flaherty and Jordan Hicks staying, it's with making some really savvy trades when you give those guys away so that whoever you bring in, you're the St. Louis Cardinals and John Mosellock, can slide right into those spots and give you something. Because I think that's the most interesting concept of this all, and we'll talk about it tonight on B-Shape Daily. Are the Cardinals going to sell at the deadline? Yeah, probably. But it doesn't have to look like a sale in a way that I think completely disqualifies them from trying to win as many games as they can over the final couple of months. We know what the flaws with this team have been. We also know what they're good at and what they maybe have a surplus of. To be able to try and concoct enough deals to balance out this roster on the fly may not be the priority of John Mosellock and the Cardinals, but how many more games do they need to win before... That kind of becomes the case before the goals of the deadline are more than just, hey, look to 2024 and make sure you stock up for anything and everything that you can get for then. 
What about August of 2023? What about September of 2023? Can some of the moves that the Cardinals might make that you would classify as sellers type of moves, could those moves also end up reaping a benefit for 2023? Maybe that's the question that we should be asking more so than, hey, should the Cardinals give up on the idea of selling or should they cancel the plan that John Mozeliak explained on Monday that this team is going to sell off their short-term assets at the deadline? Can the Cardinals at Wrigley Field this weekend do anything that could put a pause into John Mozeliak's mind? He did say, well, if we go on an eight-game winning streak, maybe then we put a pause. They're up to six. Six in a row, nine of their last 11. I think a significant problem is the fact that the Brewers keep winning, and so you haven't actually gained any games on them. You're still 10 games back of Milwaukee. And so maybe that is the rub with this entire thing. But I'm beginning to find the conversation more interesting by the day. Let me know what you think in the YouTube comments section, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. If you head to the channel, click on the video, click on the subscribe button. Make sure you're locked in for all future Cardinals content because we're rocking and rolling with usually multiple Cardinals videos per day of these podcasts and, and different things from KTGR that we put up on the YouTube channel. Make sure you guys are locked in if you like daily Cardinals conversation because that is what you'll find here. You can also follow the podcast Be Shaped Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Re- recommend doing that and leaving five-star reviews. Just drop them right there behind you on the ground everywhere you go, dropping those five-star reviews. And for those who enjoy the Cardinals live streams that we have done from time to time on the channel, not as much recently, a lot going on, so just going to try to ease back into those at some point, maybe by this weekend. But I do want to recommend the KTGR Big Show airs from 4 to 6 p.m. weekdays. And we do talk plenty of Cardinals baseball, especially right now with the trade deadline going on. So Friday afternoon, not doing anything, click on KTGR.com, click the Listen Live button, and you can hear my co-host Andy and I talk a lot of Cardinals baseball Kicking off probably at 4.05. I'm sure we'll be leading with Cardinals tomorrow. So make sure you guys are checking that out if you want a little bit of bonus Cardinals content as well. But tonight we're going to talk about the Cardinals winner over the Cubs and maybe take a further glimpse into how the Cardinals could be sellers at the deadline, but how that strategy can unfold and be executed in a way that does not completely tank the hopes of maybe continuing this winning streak and trying to climb into that mid-80s. Mark and win total, which could very well be enough to make the playoffs. You just never know. I don't think we should presume on July 21st what's going to happen for all the other teams in MLB for the final two-plus months of the season. So maybe there is some room there for the Cardinals to kind of slide their way in if they continue to play the way that they are right now. It's been pretty impressive, honestly. And I'm a little surprised at the lack of Christmas spirit, if I can be totally honest, because that's the way I phrased it on Twitter this evening, after the Cardinals completed the win, 7-2 to over Chicago, I said, y'all really still want this team to sell? Where is your Christmas spirit? Got a lot of replies about that. So many replies, in fact, that I thought this needs to be a poll question and one that I can bring up on the podcast when we get some results in. And it's been a couple of hours since I've posted it, but over 1,600, nearly 1,700 people have voted. And here's the poll. Here's the entire tweet, actually. I said, if the first part applies to you, fill in the blank with the choice that best describes your mindset as the winning streak hits six games tonight. Quote, I am a Cardinals fan, and I would like to see the Cardinals blank at the trade deadline. And here are your options. Sell off expiring assets or not sell expiring assets. Pretty simple. We don't need to delve into when it comes to this poll, like what they want to do with position players or anything else other than the three guys. And I guess you can throw... 
the fourth guy, Chris Stratton, into the, the bucket. Don't throw him into the bucket. It's not nice. Nobody likes to be thrown into a bucket. If he's in the bucket, you can place him there. But I'm talking about Jordan Montgomery, Jordan Hicks, two Jordans, not the Walker one. He stays. Montgomery, Hicks, Jack Flaherty, and Chris Stratton, if we want to include him in this as well. And the way he's pitching more recently, got the ERA, I think, below four, or he's right down there near four. So maybe he would have some value to some people. But the question would be, if you're the Cardinals, does this recent winning streak, which I consider to be more than just like the streak itself of six in a row, the nine out of 11, I think, is pretty relevant. I realize where they are in the standings. I realize that they're still well below 500. But they're starting to kind of play the way that John Mozeliak and Ali Marmel have talked all year about expecting them to play. Good, consistent offense. Ali said from the very beginning of the season, back in spring training, day one, I think it was actually opening day in his office on March 31st or whatever date that was. He said, we're going to have a powerful offense this season. And they're kind of starting to show that. All along, they never really shied away completely from that. There were times where with runners in scoring position, it was like a stretch of a few weeks where they could do absolutely nothing right with runners in scoring position. But there were stretches before that where they had really bulked up those numbers to where they weren't even in the bottom half of the league with RISP for the longest time. And now they've kind of continued to rise in their trajectory when it comes to their production. So I don't know what the risk numbers are right now, but they haven't really been that offense that you have a lot of fear like, oh, they're not going to be able to scratch across any runs today. Going against Marcus Stroman, he's been one of the better pitchers in the league. Cardinals have figured him out, though, it seems. Yesterday, Sandy Alcantara obviously has not had as strong of a season, but he's had some very good historical success and specifically success in the past against St. Louis. So you feel, felt like that was maybe going to be a difficult game going into it, especially knowing bullpen game on the Cardinals side of things. But you know what? They won both of those games, and today they did it without a sweat. Although there are some bullpen things that we need to talk about, and it's not going to reflect particularly well on Kyle Leahy, but we'll get into that as we go along here. I wanted to look up these numbers, though, for the, the run scored. Yeah, they're down in, down in 10th at this point in run scored in Major League Baseball, which is maybe a little lower than I thought. I thought they might be a little bit higher, but starting to climb, and when you score 6 and 7 and 5 and 8 and continue to, to put up numbers like they are recently, I think that is, it's got the potential to rise in the, the stature from 10th to maybe closer to that top five offense that we've discussed. The OPS, though, they're sixth in that in MLB. It's 764. Run score is the most important thing, though. So if you're having a great OPS, find a way to turn that into runs more frequently, then you'll be cooking. But the Cardinals, like the offense is not really the problem, right? The pitching has been largely the issue with this team throughout the course of the season. And now you're getting three quality starts in a row. Before then, on Wednesday, you go with Dakota Hudson, who you knew he was only going to go a couple few innings. And so that breaks the streak of quality starts. But then you go right back out there tonight. And Steven Matz was not amazing, but he was good enough. I mean, imagine where the Cardinals would have been in those really lean times if they were getting five innings and one run allowed from their starting pitching. They would have been doing backflips about those types of performances. And so if Steven Matz is going to give you a four and two-thirds or five and a third or five or whatever it is, and he's going to give up fewer than three runs... I think the St. Louis Cardinals are going to take that, especially considering they've got him for two more years and they don't really have a choice. But it's good to see Steven Matz start to come around a little bit. He was very sinker heavy tonight, but it seemed to work for him. Not super efficient. I mean, 97 pitches through five. Could have thrown a few more strikes. 59 strikes on 97 pitches. 
Only walked one guy, but just not efficient, not able to escape too many innings with ease and, and get it done just very quickly on a, a low pitch count. But only allowed three hits, one run, and a walk. He had six Ks. Like, this was a really solid outing by Steven Matson, a well-earned win, getting him to one and seven. It ain't pretty, but it's better than no and seven. But I think it's so interesting. If you're John Moselock and you've already said, hey, we're selling those short-term assets, they've got to go. we got to push it for 2024. But now you've got Steven Matz, two out of three starts. He's been pretty good. Now the one in the middle was not that good. And I think you're going to have a number of those rough and tumble types of outings with Steven Matz. I don't think he's he's going to be, you know, in a perfect world. Well, in a perfect world, he's great. But in a perfect world, like realistically, he's like low fours for ERA. And he'll every once in a while get a little bit deeper. But he has not ever really gotten deep into starts with the Cardinals last two years has just not been efficient enough to ever really have those seven, eight inning outings. And that's a rarity in the game today anyway, but Matt's in particular, you feel like you're really straining to get him through five. And I think I said on the radio today that I didn't expect him to get through five. I thought he would bow out at some point in the fifth, but credit to him for being able to get through it. But you'll take that. Like if he's your number four starter, you'll take that. The problem is right now he's your number four starter. You don't have a fifth one. And your top two are on the way out within the next 11 days is sort of the, the thought process as described by the Pobo, John Mosellock. So Jordan Montgomery has been your best pitcher. Jack Flaherty, I would say it's a battle between he and Miles Michaelis. And we'll even say it's been Michaelis to this point and say that Jack Flaherty is kind of their number three. But if you're taking away two of your top three starters and really the only three that have been consistent all year, and no, they haven't been consistent all year, but relative to what Steven Matz has done, being literally removed from the rotation, you're going to say the other three are definitely a tier above where Steven Matz has been with his performance so far this year, and I think people can understand what I mean by that. But if you're taking two of those guys away, it's like DEFCON 1 when it comes to pitching and innings and figuring out what the heck to do. So realistically, I just don't know how the Cardinals can survive and still have any priority placed on this season, what remains in August and September, if they're not in making these trades of these short-term assets who are expiring contracts and going to be free agents in the offseason, and it'd be great to sign them back. I get a lot of questions about, well, why don't the Cardinals just sign these guys? Totally understand the question, but let's realize you can't do it on July 21st. None of those guys are picking up a pen to sign a contract in July when in October, November, they're free agents for the first time in their careers, basically, right? For all three of these guys. So they're going to explore what the other 29 teams think of them, as anybody would in their situation. Jordan Montgomery has specifically said earlier in the year, no, I won't be talking about contract during the season. You know, we kind of they kind of had their chance is what he said which you could take that any number of ways that you want, but the bottom line is that's not happening. Jack Flaherty, look, like I, I think everybody just kind of knows that we're going to let this season play out, and it's not to say that Flaherty doesn't like being in St. Louis. It's the only team he's ever played for, but it doesn't matter. There's no hometown discount before you get to find out what the other 29 teams think of you. So realistically, the only guaranteed way to use these three guys and, and throw Stratton in there as well the only guaranteed way to use these guys to better your 2024 roster is by trading for guys that can play on your team in 2024. 
And if you really like them, if that's your thought process of they should be signed, not traded away, it's legal to do that in the offseason. You can still sign them and still enjoy and reap the benefits of the players that you received when you traded those guys away the first time. Now, does that happen very often? No, it doesn't. But for the sake of argument, like there's nothing keeping them from doing that. You'd still have to be the high bid, right? You'd still have to spend a lot of money. And I don't think, I don't know if people really feel they should bring Jordan Hicks back. Maybe they do because he's been really good. He's been nails in, in the closer rule for sure. But it's one of those deals where like, I know the history of the St. Louis Cardinals signing multi-year contracts for relief pitchers, and it's never gone well. Like ever. Brett Cecil, Andrew Miller wasn't a disaster, but it was not great. And it was $10, $11 million a year, whatever it was. So I just figure Jordan Hicks is going to make thirteen to $15 million. I mean, if he finishes the way he has pitched the last couple months, he's going to have an ERA of like 2.75 or something. He's going to continue to just lock it down. And then he'll have all those saves next to his name. And somebody's going to pay him to be a back-end reliever. And I think he'll get a multi-year contract. Relievers are tricky because you should never go like super long-term with relief pitchers. And that's, I think, part of the reason that last year you saw that push to make Jordan Hicks a starter. It was like, hey, it's kind of now or never. Guy's coming up close to free agency. If he doesn't get the chance, that's really going to color the way he is perceived on the open market when the time should come. And ultimately, I, I think that didn't pan out, and he is best suited for a relief role. But it's like his focus has been even better when he's been in the closer spot. The I don't even know if it's been focus or if it's been, you know, whatever the narrative we want to talk about with Jordan Hicks, it's been obvious that at times it just wasn't there for him. First batter coming into a game, you want to have him be locked in, and he'd walk the guy. Happened a lot. Hasn't really happened as much when he's in the ninth. It's like the prestige of the role maybe is is causing him to kind of lock in. He feels like he's the guy, and so he's able to to pitch more like it. You can have opinions on that if you want, whether that should be the case or is something that, that shouldn't come into play, but different personalities, different strokes for different folks, and it seems to be, whether it should be this way or not, the reality of the way things are going for Jordan Hicks. So I'd also be curious to say, like, what happens when Orion Helsley comes back and you say, hey, we're going to kind of share the closer role. You might sometimes pitch in another inning. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that would have an impact or not. I don't think we'll get long enough into it to find out because it does seem like Jordan Hicks being traded would be right in line with what the Cardinals said on Monday with what John Mosellick expressed is going to be their game plan for this deadline. And as I alluded to off the top of the show, we had the Twitter poll basically asking what Cardinals fans wanted to see. Like, I'm not asking what the team thinks they will do or said they'll do or like, it's okay to just get a little opinionated on it at this point and go, look, it's fun to see this team winning the way that they are right now. Does it change your mind about the direction? And I was somewhat surprised at the results of the poll. Like I said, we're at about 17. Now it's up to 1,725 votes. Might click it one more time to get the most recent data. Yeah, that's the most recent data. 77.7% of our more than 1,700 polled are voting, I would want to see the Cardinals sell off expiring assets, which is basically exactly what John Mozeliak said they would do on Monday. Only 22.3% say, I don't want to see them sell off expiring assets. Keep Montgomery, keep Flaherty, keep Hicks, and make a run at it, essentially is what those people would be saying. But that's only 22%. 
nearly 78% are still on board saying, no, I get it that this is fun, but you got to be rational about it, which is crazy because Cardinals Twitter is almost never rational. So good for you guys, I guess. But almost in this case, I'm kind of wanting to see you be a little irrational. Not because I think it makes the most sense for the long-term health of the organization, blah, 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 blah. No, because it would be kind of fun, right, to see what the Cardinals could come up with in the same exact season as all the crazy crap that went down earlier. Like, it was brutal to be following this team in any capacity, especially if you had to do it for your job. It was not fun. It was difficult to figure out what the heck we're supposed to write about and talk about. It was kind of the same thing over and over. How many times can you lose in the same exact way? But, like, don't those Cardinals feel like almost a distant memory? Maybe I'm just getting sucked into the vortex of this whole thing. But really, a lot of the ways that they have been winning games recently just wouldn't have happened before. Is it as simple as, hey, the All-Star break happened, so they're just looser? Or is it as simple as they kind of knew they were out of it, and then their general manager, their Pobo, said it, they were out of it, and they're selling off, and so the pressure was gone? It's like a weight has been lifted off this team, and when the snowball gets rolling down the hill, it's it gets. I mean, it can get pretty large, right? Like momentum is a a crazy beast. It's only as good as your next day's starting pitcher, which is why in selling off their parts as they're planning to do, and as seventy seven point seven percent of Cardinals Twitter would like to still see them do. You're, you are basically waving the white flag. Like, it's one thing for John Moselak to say it, but it's another thing to have the team continue to win. They haven't lost a game since that little powwow on Monday and still say, no, this is what we need to do. We've already decided. We're already neck deep in these trade conversations with other teams that are interested in our expiring rental players. So this is what we're doing. Those are two different things. It's it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to do it, despite the fact that things are really turning a corner with the way the Cardinals are playing. And the players have always been in this mindset. We talked to Arenado. We talked to Ali Marmel. It's all about, hey, let's go win the next one. Let's go win the next one. And I remember asking this question to Arenado where I said, hey, I know that's your mindset, but if you win the next one enough times, like, does there come a point where you do start looking at the standings again? Arnaldo said he didn't look at the standings, but knew how many games back they were. So go figure that. But he said, well, maybe, maybe, but not anytime soon, is what Arnaldo told me a few days ago. And I understand that because you don't want to be the guy getting too far ahead of yourself because you know you don't control your own destiny. You could win out for the whole season and still not win the Central if the Brewers do the same, right? So, which again, obviously they wouldn't be able to do the same because you actually face them physically, but you get the picture. You don't control your own destiny when you're as down in the dumps as the Cardinals have, have been and, and still are. It's getting better. 44 and 53. Winners of nine of their last 11. So they're nine games below 500 instead of 16. It feels a lot better. But it doesn't functionally change the situation. And I think that's what a lot of Cardinals fans in voting for the hey no, stay the course option to that Twitter poll that I put out. They're using the rational side of their brains. And so I I do applaud you guys on it, but I also say, where's your Christmas spirit? Because I thought it would be a little bit more of a 50-50 split, maybe 60-40. And I promise you, the reason I did it tonight 
was because if there comes an opportunity for Brendan Schaefer to do a poll, why am I talking in the third person? If there comes an opportunity for me to do a poll again on Sunday night after a four-game sweep at Wrigley, I promise you, I guarantee the results will be vastly different. And you might say, well, it's only three more games. How, how much could that change anything? Whatever would have to happen over the next three days for the Cardinals to continue whooping up on the Cubs is going to make people so emotional, so frenzied, that the the results will be different. You might think you've got conviction now. If this sucker gets to nine games in a row, and, and this wouldn't be revisionist history or using hindsight. I said this Wednesday after the Alcantara game. And I even really said it going into the Alcantara game when I tweeted the, you remember the five caveat sentence that I had, which was basically, you know, at some point I might entertain the possibility, blah, 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 if they were to beat Alcantara. And they did. So I was already kind of hyping this up a little bit after Tuesday night's win. And they've won a couple of games since then. And they've done, I would say in both games, I wouldn't have expected them to win just based on the pitching matchup. Steven Matz is 0 for the season. Marcus Stroman's having a nice season. Wednesday, Alcantara, not a great season, but a, a definitely a good uh, resume. And Steven Matz is only in the rotation again because Libertor flamed out. So, yeah, I didn't think they'd win those two games necessarily going into them. But it's like if you continue to take that one-day-at-a-time mentality, some interesting things can happen. But what I want to talk about is the notion that, okay, since 77% of Cardinals fans think they should sell still, again, check with me on Sunday if they continue to win, which, of course, they're probably not going to win all four games, right? But they've won the first one. So we'll see. But I maintain, I, I did this poll for posterity's sake. I want to know what y'all think on Thursday and what do you think Sunday night if the Cardinals should continue to do the unthinkable and try and push John Mozeliak into an even more uncomfortable situation that he's already in. And like I said, I was thinking Christmas spirit would be high when it comes to Cardinals fans. And why did I come up with Christmas spirit as the phrase? I don't know. I can't explain most of the stuff that goes on in my brain. But I just think that's sort of like the devil magic joy of it all. The Cardinals being in the playoff chase is fun for Cardinals fans. And so it's just surprising to me to think that even if the chance and the odds are slim, that they would be pretty well universally at this point, nearly 80%, committed to saying, no, this is the right rational thing to do so that we don't end up in this situation again next year. I think Cardinals fans have seen sort of the steady decline of the way the team has performed. Lack of playoff success in recent years, even when you get there, it's been underwhelming. Granted, I really thought last year was close to being the difference in that regard, but you had the Ryan Helsley thing and and all, all hell broke loose from there. But it's been a steady decline, and I feel like Cardinals fans, are. this is kind of y'all voicing your view to say, hey, listen, we don't want to continue to be on the cusp of the entire bottom dropping out of our season because of pitching. And by trading some of these short-term pitching guys, the deadline's pitching, pitching, pitching. So they're not trading him for a second baseman. Like, Jordan Montgomery is not going for a shortstop prospect. They're going for pitching if they're going. And I think it's going to be interesting to get the feedback on what Cardinals fans think of the individual pitchers that they receive in these deals. Because again, you're not getting your ace at the deadline. I've talked about that a lot. 
you're getting your ace in the offseason if you're willing to spend for him. The other way you get a really good pitcher at the deadline is by trading a position player. And I had I had really, I don't know if the answer is worried, but I had really started to kind of find some unease when it comes to the discussion surrounding Brendan Donovan's name and the frequency with which some respected people are talking about him still. It's like, hey, what are you even saying his name for unless there's maybe some smoke there? I think people are connecting dots to say Brendan Donovan, one of the highest valued position players the Cardinals have. And if you're talking to the, uh, the Mariners and you want Logan Gilbert, you can see that matchup. Nolan Gorman, Logan Gilbert, I think would be very compelling. And that's just going to be down to a personal preference on, do you think Nolan Gorman is able to eliminate enough of those long stretches of slump over the course of his career to say, no, you don't trade that guy. He's untouchable. Or do you say, this may be the only way we can come up with the pitching that we need if you're the St. Louis Cardinals? I think it's a fascinating question. Nolan Gorman is going to have a really good career. and He's like 23 years old still. Kind of forget about the number of, and Arnado mentioned this earlier in the season, and I was like, that's not real. But talking about how young the Cardinals are, they're a young team, and so maybe that's, you attribute some of the struggles early on to just the lack of cohesiveness with a young team. But you think, well, they've, you know, they've brought Adam Wainwright back, but then it's like, well, he hasn't pitched. Arnado, Goldsmith, those guys are in their 30s. Goldsmith's in his mid-30s. Those are veterans. But otherwise, it's like you consider Tommy Edmond and Tyler O'Neill veterans on this team. Jack Flaherty is a veteran on this team. Those guys are in their mid to late 20s. And then you've got a bunch of guys like Gorman at 23. Carlson's 24. Newt Barr's like 25. Jordan Walker's 21. Was 20 on opening day. So that's kind of a pretty significant chunk. They are kind of a younger team. When you think about it, that's a significant group of names that they were planning to rely upon this season. And those those are largely guys in their low to mid-20s. And even the guys who are considered veteran are like 27 years old. Tyler just turning 28 years old in June. So kind of like that. And so it is kind of a young team, and, and maybe they're just starting to find themselves. The pitching, though, wasn't particularly young. Miles Michael is a veteran. Steven Matt's a veteran. The pitching has just kind of been what it what it's been for the most part, and it has struggled until recently. And I think nobody wants to buy into the idea that the pitching might just be better now. And I think that's rational too because it's all the same guys, largely the same people. They're starting to make moves, and they're starting to stock up too with some like Jacob Barnes, some other dude. They're getting these these 30-year-old guys, 33-year-old guys, and stashing them in Memphis for the inevitable moment where they end up trading some of their major league pitching away. But my thing is, if you want to still see a way to make a run at this, even while doing the responsible thing and selling off the expiring contracts, make sure you're getting some pitching back. If it's all about pitching, 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 get a guy that's at least at AAA so that it's not too crazy when you trade him and bring him directly to St. Louis when you when you acquire the guy, whoever it ends up being. And he's in your rotation or he's in your bullpen, and like that's how you pull this off is by trading your expiring guys, but putting someone in their spot that at least has a half a chance to contribute at a similar level. For Montgomery, like a 3.2 ERA, going to be hard to find off the street. 
and it's not off the street, but in these trades of, hey, we're only giving up, you know, whatever we're going to give up for rental pitching. We got to be realistic about that. But that's where I think the aspect of trading a position player for a starting pitcher that's not a prospect, that's already kind of a bona fide guy. Again, maybe not an ace, because I think if you want an ace, you're gonna you're gonna buy Aaron Nola. You're gonna buy the guy from Japan, Yamamoto, or you're gonna buy, you know, Strowman. I guess might be back on the market. I don't know if he's quite to ace level, but he is very interesting. And I also wonder if the Cardinals can even afford to not just let him stay on the Cubs because they seem to do very well against him every time they face him. But you're going to have to spend some money on a pitcher. Julio Urias, probably, I don't expect them to sign him, but you're going to have to spend some money on a pitcher. But the other way to do it is to trade a position player 4-1 now. And for instance, I think this made a lot more sense before we got the update today on Thursday about Brendan Donovan's throwing arm soreness. The fact that he's basically shut down from throwing for another couple of weeks. After getting a second opinion in Dallas, he's away from the team for one day, going to be back in Chicago and probably into the lineup tomorrow, but he's going to be basically the DH going forward, which is problematic when you consider you have three catchers and one of them has not done a great job of catching. And so he's going to just not play Wilson Contreras, even though he's been hitting really well this month. Good to see him with an RBI double against his old team tonight. So you want to have him in the lineup the way he's going right now. It's going to be very tricky. The Donovan arm injury thing, honestly, more than anything else right now, kind of has me wondering if this whole thing is fool's gold because there are going to be some trickle-down effects of Donovan not being able to play the field and play it at the level that he customarily does. And the Wilson Contreras thing is one of them. But it just seems like the logjam that was already there, it was improved and and the, the blow was lessened by the fact that guys like Edmund and Donovan can play anywhere, so you have flexibility with who you want to slot into the other roles on a given day. But now both of those guys are basically injured and not able to play the field. Donovan's not going on the IL, but he can't play defensively, and Edmund is still on the IL with the wrist that hasn't really responded as quickly as they'd hoped. So the notion of you've got all this position player depth, it's interesting too because maybe you don't at the exact moment. I would have maybe thought they would have floated Tommy Edmund for the type of controllable pitching that they were said to be looking for. And I just, I don't think that's even a possibility at this point because of the injury, but maybe they wouldn't have done it anyway. And that's good. Cause I think Tommy Edmonds a good player, but you could say that about each and every one of them. You could say it about Donovan. You could say it about Newt Bar, You could say it about Nolan Gorman for sure. You could say it about Dylan Carlson. I would say it about Dylan Carlson. The only difference is if they're not going to play him, might as well send him to the Yankees so he can get to play. Or maybe Tyler O'Neill goes on a little bit of a run and the Cardinals say, we're pulling the rug out from that because we just don't know if we can trust the run to be sustained. And then the team that ends up with Tyler O'Neill and the run does get sustained, they will be handsomely rewarded for that. But I just wonder what the fit there would be or if they would entertain it at all. So you've got all these kind of questions floating around. But the bottom line to me is if the Cardinals are going to continue selling and not go back on the the described plan of action from Monday, which fans seem to be on board with. Like I said, 77.6% right now as we talk are saying, yes, continue to sell off the expiring assets. If that's the case, I would say to the 22% that are saying, no, I don't want to see that, that there would still be a way to make it happen, but it's got to be by getting pitching that is ready or at least close enough in terms of readiness to at least give it a try. And then they have to do well. 
you have to hit on one of those guys. Because all these guys they're signing and throwing into AAA Memphis off the street who are veterans are kind of like the Ryan Tapera experience, which has already ended. The Ryan Tep era is over in St. Louis. You like that one, right? Kirk Cousins, you like that? I also had a tweet tonight that I thought was funnier than everybody else did where I said it's funny to think about the fact that there are actually two guys you could describe as Christian Kirk in the NFL right now. Football fans will know what I'm talking about. But anyway, Ryan Tapera gets DFA'd for the return of Tyler O'Neill because Tyler was on the 60-day IL. You don't count against the 40-man roster when you're on the 60-day IL. So in order to rejoin the active roster, the 26-man roster, you also have to be accounted for on the 40-man and Tapera joined the team on Monday. He leaves the team on Thursday. I'm sure they didn't make him fly to Chicago to find that out. He probably found out Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon, whatever. So no more Tapera, and he had pitched twice and wasn't really that good, and so not a surprise. Just didn't look like he was a, a player for him. Whereas guys like Jojo Romero, by the way, kind of starting to look like even more of a player, ERA in the mid-twos. He's going to be in this bullpen next year for sure. Jojo Romero. I'm, I'm pretty well committed to that at this point in terms of my opinion on how things are going to go there. But Ryan's pair already gone. And while we're talking about it, we can segue into a little bit of game conversation sandwiched in between our long-term thoughts right here with this. Kyle Leahy maybe has had his last appearance for the Cardinals as well. That was a brutal situation to watch as it unfolded on Thursday night. Hits Patrick Wisdom in the head who seemed to be okay, was talking to coaches and stuff about it over uh, there on first base, at which point my wife says, that guy kind of looks like Miles Michaelis. And with the way the mustache is, I guess maybe he does a little bit. But that's, for whatever that's worth, Patrick Wisdom, Miles Michaelis, if you see the resemblance, let me know. YouTube comment section. I feel very badly for Kyle Leahy, but I, I don't, unfortunately, think the Cardinals can keep going with this guy after that uh after that appearance, hit the guy in the head, Patrick Wisdom, walked a couple of guys, and in one of those walks, nearly hit another batter. The last guy that he faced was was up and in, too, near the head. I say I feel very badly because that's just one of those things that you start to get into a territory of like, okay, that is, it's not just like he's hitting guys and has no command. He has, like, no idea where it's going and can't even avoid the notion of going up and in on a guy in a dangerous way. So I think he's maybe the next guy to have the old trip back to Memphis, which I don't, like I said, I don't think they have to DFA him, but depending on the way 40-man rosters go, I would be surprised if he doesn't have a different circumstance for his life come Friday, um, which is like, it sucks because that's just one day, one bad day at work. Like we've all had a bad day at work, but it was a bad spot for Kyle Leahy. And I just, he hasn't been good, right? There's not really been a good appearance from him. But these are the guy, the kinds of guys you got to try out if you're the Cardinals, right? You have to kind of see what you have in some of those internals. And uh, if it's a DFA, I wouldn't be totally surprised. But that's just me based on watching tonight. I don't have anything, any insight, no nothing. I just know that was a rough situation to watch as it unfolded. I'll take this moment as well to kind of talk about some of the other things from the game that I had marked down to want to bring up other than the Leahy situation. And a lot of it was offensive-oriented. I, I did note the diving barrel roll play by Nolan Gorman at second base in the eighth inning. That was pretty special. Had him back in the three hole tonight as well, but I think that was only because of Donovan not being there. Newpar leads off, and so you still get to go left, right, left, right. 
I wonder if they keep that alignment because I had said, hey, I think it's probably time to, if you're insisting upon putting a lefty in the three-hole, don't let it be Newtbar, have it be Gorman. But I'd also be interested in seeing Newtbar right there in the two-hole behind Brennan Donovan when he's in the lineup. But I know they want to want to keep the the balance there, left, right, left, right. I wonder, though, if you went Donovan, Newtbar, let me think on this, Goldschmidt. Yeah, you can't really move Arenado down past four, though, can you? Because I was thinking maybe then you could go Gorman four, Arenado five, but I don't think you want to do that. But nevertheless, Gorman batting third tonight. Had a nice play defensively. Good for him. Jordan Walker, speaking of him, home run. In the swing, it was so bizarre. It almost looked like it was in slow motion. That's just the power that he has. It's like, it, it, did he get all of that? I don't know. Oh, it's a few rows deep. What in the hell just happened? That's Jordan Walker. He's a he's a dude. He should not be batting eighth, but he was tonight, so whatever. It's it's almost like it goes back to the, the Mike Bethini era of, well, this guy's a veteran, Tyler O'Neill, even though we would, would love to not have him as high in the lineup based on productivity recently. We still got to bat him seventh or whatever. But Paul DeYoung batting ninth, I think, is totally reasonable with the guys that they had in the lineup today. And yet, he hits a home run as well. He's got 14 home runs. Well, he had 14 home runs coming into today at Wrigley Field for his career. And now he's got 15. And that is the second most of any place that should not surprise anybody. Bush Stadium being the, the most prolific home run spot for Paul DeYoung. He's got 38 of those in his career at Bush, but 15. At Wrigley. This guy, and it's not even that he's like amazing at Wrigley. He's hitting 242, and this, these numbers are prior to today, so they don't include today's home run. But a 242 average, a 303 on base, which aren't good numbers, but a 511 slug is good, but it still only equates to an 814 OPS, which again went up a little bit with today's home run, I'm sure. But it's like it's kind of all or nothing. He's only got six career doubles there in 51 games. He's got the 15 home runs. Like, that's what he does. He homers at Wrigley almost every series he's ever been there, I would venture. I'm not going to go back and check on that, but it seems like it's a plausible thing to say. The dude always seems to come up with a swing in one of the games at Wrigley darn near every time they, they go there. So good for him, as as we all know. We're just looking for him to get the OPS up to 750, though. It's at 739. Ask a friend if you don't know what that means. But we do, we're looking for 750 out of PDJ. Other quick nuggets on the game itself. Nolan Arenado, again, to the opposite field with the double. Only one for five, but the swing that he did have was powerful, was impressive, going the other way, nearly left the building. A couple of RBIs, I believe, on that play. He's just unreal. He is carrying this team. He's doing at least one thing every day that you just go, yep, that's Arenado being Arenado, Nolan being Nolan. So good for him continuing to kind of pace the offense in the way that he has. He could end up leading the league in RBIs this year, which I know some people say doesn't matter. Nolan Arenado would beg to differ. He really does value RBIs and what that means for the team and, and for himself personally. Being able to rack up a bunch of those means you were doing something right when your fellows were on there and on base in front of you. So that matters to him. Anything else that I had from the game? Let me check my notes here and see. Uh, I just wanted to mention maybe one negative thing, not to rip on the guy, but it seems like anytime Lars Newpark gets near the wall, something bad happens. Like he's kind of lost out there when he gets too close to the wall. 
this time, I like I said, I almost hesitated to even bring it up because the wall is filled with an invasive plant that's covering up a brick wall with no padding. And so, yeah, I'd be a little bit skeeved out by trying to get near it myself. But he, like, lost the ball legitimately for, like, five seconds. And the center fielder had to run over and get it for him over in the right field corner, the way it ricocheted. So that was a little bit weird. It almost just seems like he is running like like you run, and then when you get close to the wall, like his body like crumples into a heap as he stands, and he doesn't really know where to put his limbs and such. It's very bizarre. Other than that, athletic, good player, good outfielder, but when he gets near the wall, I feel like that's kind of becoming a thing. Let me know if you agree with that or if I'm overreacting to just this one instance. Uh, throw it on the YouTube comments section. With anything else that you think about, everything going on right now with the Cardinals. Another aspect, though, is we kind of shift gears back into the conversation about whether this team ends up selling or doing a combination of several things at once at the deadline. The position player side of it, if not for the injuries, I think would be even more interesting in a scenario where they're playing well. Because if you trade away a position player and you've got extra guys at that position to still play in the daily lineup, it's almost like you didn't lose anything but you, it has to be a healthy roster for that to be true. Because the moment you, you say we've got plenty of second basemen, you trade one, then your other second baseman gets hurt, and you're like, well, crap. We should have anticipated that. And it's like fluky stuff that happens, and you can't, you can't ever know when an injury is going to come about, which is why I think it's also very fascinating how they really pumped their own tires about how much depth they had. John Mozeliak, Ali Marmel, they felt very good about the depth. If you remember back to spring training on the pitching side, we know that's been a, a nightmare, but on the position player side and in that starting lineup, it's like they had, I, I can recall kind of thinking in my head, they've got a bench that's much deeper than what they've ever really had. You probably go 12 deep on your bench and then you've got whoever the backup catcher ends up being at the time. Kisner, was was performing poorly in spring, but I still kind of figured it would have to be him. And now we've obviously seen three catchers on the scene. But nevertheless, like the bench is full of guys who could conceivably be starting on a given day or on a given team. And that has sort of played out the way that you thought it would. But with injuries happening, maybe that changes the calculus. Depth, though, also I think has hurt the Cardinals in a, in a way. Because you need depth in case of the injuries, but you also have so much of it and it's kind of indecipherable between the guy who should be your fourth outfielder and the guy who should be getting everyday run in the outfield. Like they have not been able to distinguish the answers to those questions. And I think that not it's not just like MLB the show where you can make a few clicks and say, well, this guy's going to be in my lineup now. I'm going to put this other guy on the bench for a few days. I'm going to simulate these games in franchise mode and then kind of see how they performed. It, they and like they're probably going to perform based on their stats and their player ratings, right? Like it doesn't work like that in real life because there's the human element to it. And I feel like the notion of trumping up how good it was to have a bunch of depth coming into the season is, is not false when you have injuries. You're glad you have it at that point. But I also think it has impacted the confidence level and just the comfort level of the different players knowing like I might not play every day, but I know kind of my role and what to expect. But Ollie Marmel has sort of been forced to just make it up as he goes along, reacting to different injuries, reacting to different cold stretches by players, different hot streaks, and just try to come up with what he can come up with. But Mo put him in a bad spot because if you've got like four outfielders, you can find a way to maneuver, and there's probably skill sets that work for platoons and 
everybody still gets regular run. If you've got five or six, it's it's too many. In the insistence of we got to keep playing Alec Burleson that the Cardinals had, and it was early on, and now we're kind of seeing a lot more of Burleson again lately. Today, he's the first baseman to Goldschmidt's DH. But Burleson's still just kind of doing what he's doing, hitting 240 and OPSing 685. Like, I don't necessarily know what needs to happen. And again, he's playing his more natural position at first base today, so you let it go. Get Goldsmith a day off his feet, that's fine. But, like, if that's just, if he's just kind of a contact hitter who doesn't hit for a high average, because he's not a huge power guy. Maybe he develops into one, but that's never really been the book on him. Ollie Marmel, when talking about him all all April and, and leading into the season, was we really like him because he takes good at bats and he puts the bat to the ball and he's going to make contact and we, you know, we like that aspect of it. And that's okay, but if you're a 240 hitter with a 292 on base, I don't really care how much you're striking out or not striking out. And to his credit, like he doesn't strike out much. It's true. He's only got 22 Ks on the year. And 196 at bats. That's a good, it's a good ratio. He's got over 200 plate appearances and 22 strikeouts. That's Pujolsian. But what's not Pujolsian is the 240 average, the 292 on base, but only slugging 393. Like not a huge home run guy either. Although, I mean, if you tripled the 196 at bats and said he'd be an everyday guy, maybe he ends up with 15 to, to 18 home runs. I don't know how reasonable that is to do. But just not a huge home run guy, and so it's kind of very underwhelming, the insistence of Alec Burleson, but he fills that role that they're so desperate to see come through, and that's a left-handed hitting guy. He can hit right-handed pitching as a lefty. That's what they're looking for. And they're they're trying to manifest that with Alec Burleson, but I certainly think we have not seen enough out of him offensively to justify his continued presence in the outfield group. If you want to play him at first base, that's fine. If you're going to play him in the in the outfield, play him in left, not right. But it's one of those deals where you could totally see the underlying skills turning him into a very good and capable major league hitter over the, the long run. But like when the Cardinals are trying to force feed that in the early portion of the season, and Dylan Carlson's kind of on the outside looking in, Tyler O'Neill is not performing, which is also being force fed into center field. And I want to give him credit for the day he had today with the double, which was kind of a bloop double. So you know, but you still get credit for it. But he also drew two walks, which I think. Very valuable for his game to be able to draw walks because he's also really fast and can steal bases for you. But I think the idea that, hey, we're going to give some run to Burleson really did add to that log jam in the outfield, and it led to, not directly because Burleson is a lefty hitting righties versus Jordan Walker right-handed bat, but I think it helped contribute to Walker being demoted and everything else going on. Which, by the way, not a great night defensively for Walker in the outfield. No duh. He's done it for less than a year, and you know maybe he never becomes great at it. But at this point, I, I'm not. I'm gonna try not to sweat too much of it. Yes, he's got to improve. He knows that. But I, I think until 2024, unless again this team crawls back into the race, which we don't expect, most Cardinals fans still say sell. But otherwise, I think you just play him every day in the outfield. He gets better at it, and then you revisit. You know, should be working on it all off season. And then in spring training, we can kind of say, all right, how does this look? And then they, they begin to gather more data points on the long-term plan for Jordan Walker. But I know that was something people were talking about. And so, yeah, not a great day uh, defensively for him in the outfield, 
But again, not too surprising to see that be the case. But as we kind of wrap up here tonight on B-Shave Daily, I want to know from you guys, comment on YouTube and make sure you like the YouTube video as well and subscribe if you haven't done that before because you like this Cardinals content. Listen, if you're 52 minutes into this thing right now and you are not subscribed, come on. You wouldn't have stayed this long if you didn't think it was somewhat decent to listen to. So hook me up with the sub if you would. But comment on YouTube as well what you think about the notion of not only Thursday's game and how it went against the Cubs, but the notion of how this Cardinals deadline really should play out. I'm getting a lot of good thoughts from Cardinals fans over the last few days, but it continues to get more interesting, at least to me, because I said coming into Wrigley, if you sweep at Wrigley, that has to mean something. You don't have Wrigley give you a sign from above and just ignore what Wrigley had to say. If they lose a game in Chicago, all right, I'll hear you. They have to win two for every game they lose the rest of the way to continue to make strides. So if you start losing games, especially if you do it in unfortunate ways, then the calculus really does change quickly. And Friday, it's Jack Flaherty, Justin Steele, another opportunity to really, I mean, Justin Steele is the toughest one they'll face. They they conquered the game against Marcus Stroman in, in game one. If they can beat Justin Steele, which very much did not happen in London, then again, you're you're gathering these data points to go, hey, these things are not supposed to be happening for a team that just stinks still. I know the record stinks, but they're coming around. But what do you want to see them do? What do you genuinely want to see them do? And I'll try to address as much of it as I can in the YouTube comments. I, I, I chime in there when I see some things that I can easily address. Uh, even the long-form comments that I see, I read them and I enjoy them. And appreciate you guys for the passion that you have putting everything into that, putting all the thought into that that you do. But I'm really curious with this thing. The more I think about it, the more, you know, and it was kind of the poll that led me to have this mindset of Cardinals fans do think they should continue to sell off these assets. So that's where I, I shift gears and go, all right, if they do, you trade Jordan Montgomery, but maybe you trade him back to the Yankees and you throw in a position player that because their, their lineup is just abysmal. But you throw him to the Yankees, but you get a Clark Schmidt or a Clayton Beater or both. Clark Schmidt's in their rotation with like a 4.13 ERA. Good strikeout guy, but walks some guys, gives up some, some home runs. Clayton Beater, similar story. Good numbers, but he's still kind of making his way downtown, as they say. I think his ERA is in the fours in AAA. Had a good start to the season in A. High strikeouts, but high walks as well. Those are the two guys from the Yankees that I'm kind of circling the drain on to think if the Cardinals can give some rental players and maybe a position player that doesn't make Cardinals fans want to weep into their pillow at night to give up, then maybe that's a potential fit. And if there is a Clark Schmidt, and maybe they want Jordan Hicks too. I don't know. I don't know where the perfect fit for Jordan Hicks necessarily is going to be. I think it'd be very fascinating to go Arizona for a guy like Brandon Fott. I don't know if they're giving up a Brandon Fott for two months of a relief pitcher, but you never know. Maybe you add some something to that. I don't know. Later on the YouTube channel, I'll have a video up from Thursday's KTGR Big Show where we go into who would be the best trade partner for the Cardinals. If you don't want to wait until 8 a.m. or whenever that posts, 
make sure you uh, subscribe to the big show on Spotify and you can just listen back to the podcast from Thursday's show. But like it would be guys that you can acquire and plug right into your rotation and maybe they don't end up panning out because either they don't have major league numbers yet or their numbers in the major leagues that they do have aren't very good or whatever happens, right? Like Clark Schmidt has at least demonstrated like he can hold his own at this point with an ERA in the low fours. But if you trade Montgomery and a position player, and I hesitate to even name names because it's getting more difficult to figure out who it would be with the injury to Edmund, the injury to Donovan. Carlson is an, uh, an obvious option based on the way that they have put out those tea leaves about him so far. You wouldn't be surprised to see it. I have said this week it's a better than equal chance that the dude ends up on the Yankees or at least ends up on another team, not this one. But Tyler O'Neill, you know, he looked good tonight. Do the Cardinals say, oh, good, he's going to be just good enough that we can build his value up and get a pitcher for him? Or do they say, no, this is kind of what we were hoping we would see all year and we're finally seeing it, so enjoy playing left field every single day and being a force in every element of the game. Because when Tyler O'Neill is right, he's a force defensively, as long as you don't put him in center. He's a force at the plate. He's a force on the bases. I don't know how much willingness the Cardinals have to just kind of forget the way that the season has gone and say, we don't worry when the next injury or the next malperformance mode might come for him. We're just going to trust that this is real and he's back. I don't know what their thought process on that is going to be. So whatever the position player ends up being, though, you could at least see it at that point from the Yankees side, who their record should not, you know, it doesn't indicate they should buy. They're only like a couple of games above 500, but they're the Yankees and their fan base is going to demand it. And so I just expect them always to try and make moves to be in it because it's been forever since they've won a World Series and they're going to try to do that at some point. But their lineup stinks, especially without Aaron Judge. You've got a bunch of 600 OPS guys and a couple in the 700s. One of them is Stanton, who's hitting 198 for his batting average. They don't really have anybody in that lineup right now, which is why I kind of think that Tyler O'Neill might be a better fit for them than Carlson because a good defender light hitting against right-handed pitching is not necessarily the the blueprint for what they should be looking for at this point. But I think it's very interesting to kind of see, all right, Cardinals, maybe you're right. The 77% of Cardinals fans that voted in the poll, maybe y'all are right. They shouldn't get fooled by this little segment, or maybe it's not even fooled. Maybe you believe that this is real, but you just say it's too little too late. They're too far back for it to realistically be something that results in a playoff berth. And some Cardinals fans would say, screw a playoff berth. All they're going to do is lose in the first round. I only have interest if you think they can contend for a World Series, which I don't agree with because, again, crazier things have happened. But Cardinals fans have been beaten down by the early exits in recent years, and so they're not willing to entertain the possibility that a best two out of three playoff series, some fluky stuff can actually go in your direction rather than the other way around. And doing it as the division winner would mean that those games would get to be held at Bush Stadium. Just saying in the world in which they make this run and it happens is what I'm trying to articulate there. But nevertheless, I think to do it, you would have to be getting pitching back. You can't just throw those those random dudes that you've pulled into Memphis onto the active roster and say, go get them, Tiger. Dakota Hudson and Zach Thompson, you're both in the rotation now, even though with, with Thompson, you just haven't really seen the success with him as a starting pitcher versus a reliever. Dakota Hudson is relying upon the defense. Maybe that works out. Again, his career ERA is still pretty good, but he's been kind of 
trending downward ever since the Tommy John. But these are all kind of thoughts that would have to go through your mind if you're still thinking, hey, this team is playing really well, and I believe that it's real, but I still think they have to do the thing that's going to inevitably rupture the streak and the good vibes. 40% of your rotation gone, your clothes are gone. Maybe that's what needs to be done. But the fact that Cardinals fans are like, yeah, it's okay if they don't win this year. It's just, I'm not going to say it's silly or wrong. It's just a little surprising. But let's see what happens by Sunday if they continue to win these games. Jack Flaherty beats Justin Steele. It's going to continue to get super interesting as the weekend approaches. Maybe you don't think so. Maybe you're tired of hearing me talk about it, but I hope you're still enjoying the content. Let me know what kind of content you want to see as well. This is a democracy. I'll listen. And I appreciate you guys, as always, for listening to the show. I probably had more things to say, but I'm up to an hour at this point. So let me know. DM at for 12 on Twitter. If you have some other topics that you'd think, hey, you got to touch on this because I think it would be interesting to hear your take. That's what I'm here for. Appreciate you guys so much for listening. Check out patreon.com slash bshafer12 if you really like the content you hear on bshafe Daily and the YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe before we get out of here, and that is going to do it for this edition of the show. We'll talk to you next time on bshafe Daily. Peace.